Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy! We're starting a new message series here at Cascade called Different Together. And what we want to do, the reason why we're doing it is we want to talk through uh, one of our core values here at Cascade is diversity. Uh, and we, we intentionally kind of flesh that out as uh, we better know God when we live in community, when we live in a community of people who are different from us. Uh, basically, if, that this is not just kind of a, a value statement judged on kind of uh, advertising and marketing groups, like looked at culture and like diversity. That's how you get people in your pews. But rather for us, it's deeply linked and tied to our theology, our understanding of who God is and how we interact with each other. Um, And so the reason why we wanted to talk about it is we don't just want to have a value and not talk about the beauty and the difficulty and challenge of it. One aspect that is true is, uh, and, and not every single person, but a lot of people have come to Cascade, and here's what I've seen. People of color are like, this is a really white church. And you say, yep. And white people are like, I like how diverse it is. <laughs> and so, so we want to be able to have a conversation about that, to be able to talk about that, to not just keep ignoring the thing in the room, but let's have the difficult conversation on what diversity really looks like and the challenges of that. And that's kind of the purpose of this morning. Next week, Leroy Barber is going to be with us, and he's going to be leading. We're going to have panels each week, including this morning, on uh, racial diversity. And then in two weeks, we're going to look at relational diversity. So what does it look like to have a church that has people in same-gendered couples, uh, single people, married people, divorced people? Um, It's a kind of diversity that we're like, yeah, I like having all those people around. And yet often, um, for a lot of really biological and neurological reasons, we keep grouping in groups of similar and liked people. And so how do we address that? How do we talk about that? One thing that got me um, thinking about this for a while is I went to Seattle Pacific University, which is a, a private Christian liberal arts college up in Seattle. And one of the jokes that we had, like other people that were in the small Christian college world, is the brochures that we would put out. And so I just, I just put in Christian college brochure or student life. And look at these images that I pulled up. Uh, yeah, so you have this one. Uh, and the reason why I'm sharing this is my friend George Lee, he went to, he's a person of color, went to college in Westmont uh, down in Santa Barbara, California. And he goes, yeah, I attended for four years and I was on the brochure for seven. Um, <laughs> Uh, And you can kind of see, as we go through this, I'm not saying that there aren't people of color at these colleges, but we would always laugh that our experience of actually attending the college and what was on the brochure was very different. Why is that? Because people that have a value for diversity, and specifically white people, are looking for visual diversity. I want to see and look and see like a visual diversity of faces that kind of look different from each other, and let's make sure we check all the boxes. And largely, the reason why you would do that is if you're running a for-profit college, you don't want to cut off any potential financial pipeline. That's kind of the most cynical view of the, the whole thing. There are some colleges that are trying to lead into that, but one of the things that we are trying to address here at Cascade is if you're not putting 
people that are in the margins of your community in leadership, then your value for diversity is hollow. If it's not actually an ability to influence the systems and structures at whatever organization it is, then your value for diversity actually runs a little hollow. And I don't say this. I know that there's a lot of churches and organizations that have this posture to be like, hey, we're talking about it, so you can't question us. We're nailing it. Uh, In fact, we want to flip that paradigm on its head and say we're talking about it so we can be held accountable to it. When we started Cascade and we were kind of talking about values, we looked around the room and it was a bunch of white people. And there were some people that were like, hey, this value of diversity doesn't make any sense. We should take it off the board. And instead, we said, no, that just means we have to work really hard at making sure that it is a truly reflective of our heart and values. I'm sharing this conversation with you all so that we can be accountable to that as a community. Are we actually leading into that or is it just kind of a stated belief? Now, the theological kind of linking to that is why is this thing a value force and why is it true? If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to everyone's favorite book, Revelation. So um, we're going to look at Revelation 7. Um, This is a a picture, if you're not familiar with Revelation, it's the last book in the Bible. It's a vision from John. Um, and it really is that. It's allegory. It falls within kind of apocalyptic understanding of like the end of the world, these kind of unseen change. And it's, uh, it becomes a bit of a Rorschach test. That's what's interesting about Revelation. But I want you to, to catch this part right here. In this kind of everyone is before God, this kind of end of all things. It says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. This vision of diversity and a diverse group of people coming together and being in community together is reflected in kind of this idealized picture of what happens at the end of all things. That ultimately, uh, diversity and everyone being included and everyone being honored for the different ways that they encounter the world and they encounter God isn't a threat to ultimate kind of peace and joy, but it's the pathway there. And so oftentimes what that gets turned into, as I talked about visual diversity, is we want visual diversity and just using the United States of America, what that means is that you would incorporate a number of low identifying people of color. So people that are from other backgrounds, they, would, they, they, they are people of color, but they would identify with kind of American values. And uh, a number of people would put that as like trying their best to code white, white culture. And usually this is the kind of diversity that white progressives do really well. But you're still norming one particular culture and experience. One of the ways that my own hypocrisy got exposed in this is before starting Cascade, I was a a missions kind of outreach pastor, both locally and internationally. And we were running this big fundraiser to go on a missions trip to Mexico. And so as we were doing that, I was coordinating with the leader of the Latino ministry at our church. And I remember being in a, a staff meeting, just expressing all my frustrations with like, They want to do this like tamale fundraiser that's never made money. It doesn't make any sense. Like we need to do this and we need to make more money so we can make a difference in Mexico. 
And I realized, oh no. All my white saviorism was laid bare. That I want to go there to help those people. But to actually be in a relationship with someone who has a different worldview, different experiences from Mexico, mm -mm, no thank you. And so there's lots of ways where we step into this and we have these massive imbalances. When we're allowed to let people truly lead and truly speak their experience and not trying to norm it to one experience, homogenize it, like let's just make it one thing that we can all agree on, but allow the diversity to come to light, now it gets interesting. Another biblical example of this, have you ever thought of the team of people that Jesus brought together? Think of the disciples. If Jesus was an Enneagram 9 like myself, he did a terrible job building the disciples because he had fishermen. He had these brothers that were known as the sons of thunder, which means they liked to mix it up. He had a zealot on the team. Zealots were the group of people that believed the best way for Jews to engage in the Roman world is to kill any Roman centurions if you had a choice. This is like the example of Barabbas when he's freed with Jesus and Barabbas. They weren't like, we should disrupt the system, and like very clearly we disrupt the system through murder of Roman centurions. And then he added a tax collector. So someone who was getting fed from the Roman system existing, and then he put them all on a group, including Mary Magdalene, who's very much a part of this group and was rolling with it, and the women were there to help fund this ministry in this whole swirl of different people. And then where did Jesus take them? Exclusively to the Jewish centers of the world? No, not for the vast majority of the ministry. Only at the very end does Jesus go to Jerusalem around a bunch of Jewish people. Jesus goes up to Samaria, and he, he, he engages with the Samaritan woman. He engages with the Canaanites. He talks about, in the stories, the good Samaritan. Jesus is intentionally getting them into diverse communities to see what experience is there. Why? When we put ourselves in diverse places and we hear other people's, people, uh, people's experiences and stories, we understand more about the God who's responsible for the diversity of this world. It's not that you can't know God if you're not in diverse communities. It's just your knowledge of God is very narrow, and God tends to look a lot like you. And when you intentionally put yourself in diverse spaces, God gets bigger. God gets grander, and that should be the one God who created all things, is a big and grand God. A couple of thoughts we want to go to, and then I want to make sure that we get to our panel of wonderful folks. A couple of thoughts for us as a community. Uh, the first is that if you're comfortable every week here, someone else isn't. So when we think about our structure, diversity means discomfort. Not as it might happen, but it actively will happen. And in fact, there might be something wrong if you're always comfortable. I was talking with Donna Barber a, a number of years ago, is right after we'd started Cascade. And she was asking about the worship we had here. And I said, I don't know, it's like normal Portland church worship. And she was like, oh, white then. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. That is our expression of worship. That is the way we do it. But I didn't call it white worship. I called it normal worship. And the fact that it makes me comfortable week in and week out 
means that there actually might be other people that are constantly uncomfortable with it. And so how do we not prioritize some people's discomfort over others, but how do we see an active discomfort that, that, that stretches over all of us? And if there's anybody that should bear the greater weight of discomfort, it should be the people that are dominant culture. So if a majority of you live in the city, in the city it would be white people, you bear more of the weight of discomfort than others because the whole city is set up to make you comfortable because that's the dominant number of people. The second thing is that when I experience something challenging in diverse communities, I can either get defensive or I can get curious. Talking about the way our brains and our, our bodies work is when we hear another experience, the reason why we tend to move towards homogenized communities, which are people that look like us, think like us, and have similar worldview and experience, is because it helps us call an, uh, our experience good. Right? If all these people are doing life this way, it must be okay. And subconsciously, unconsciously, that's what we want in this world. And a lot of times when we encounter another narrative, another story, another way of viewing the world, we immediately become defensive. I have to tell everyone why that one's wrong. Why? We would say, because it's wrong. But what we're trying to say is because that calls into question my rightness. And if instead we surrender rightness and wrongness as a way of being, and we get curious about, tell me why you believe that thing you do. Tell me why you practice or you see the world. Tell me more about that. Now we can actually learn about one another instead of further defining and classifying one another and pushing each other to further extremes, right? And this is huge in the political season. This is huge when it comes to politics. A lot of times we have someone like, hey, who are you voting for in the primaries? And someone tells us, and you're like, oh, okay, I got it. Not why. Tell me more about that. Like, oh, you a Bernie bro? Got it. Oh, you're Elizabeth Stan? Got it. Oh, you're Mayor Pete guy. All right, I understand now. We use this as kind of shorthand to be able to classify and push people away instead of learning and drawing into that. The last one is that power dynamics impact our experience of diversity. Power dynamics are that in every relationship or any community, the power is not held equally by all people that some people have more power in different circumstances. So if you work somewhere and there's a clear and established boss, they have more power than the employees. Uh, in the family, a parent, until a certain stage of life, has more power than their children. And so within that dynamic, you can't say, in my family right now, with a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, we have this beautiful diversity and all opinions matter. No, they don't. And, and we don't want to extend this, but I'm clearly in charge. I clearly have more power than my children. So to pretend and go to them and say, like, hey, your, your vote matters as much as my vote is dishonest and insulting. And instead to say, hey, daddy's in charge of this part of this relationship, but I want to hear what you see and what you understand of the world so we can make these decisions, that is more honoring to what's going on. And so again, how do we name the thing in the room that a value for diversity in this room, predominantly white people, serves white people way more than it does people of color? 
It serves white people way more to be associated with a diverse church than it serves people of color to not have an experience on a Sunday morning of safety and seenness. And so you have to be aware of that. You have to name that and acknowledge that. So what we want to do is, um, I know that it would just be awesome to be like, let's talk about diversity exclusively from a white man the entire time. Um, (laughs) But we want to have panels of people that we've kind of given questions um, to be able to engage with and talk through. And so this morning, uh, I'm going to invite up. Uh, I've asked Sam and Haley, Coos and Lindsay and Jacinda to come on up. Uh, They're going to come on up and grab a seat, and we're going to talk through some of the realities and complexities of diversity. Would you welcome them? Please wisely. Seats. So we know who's who, and Sam, I'll start with you. We'll come down. Would you mind kind of uh, introduce yourself, say your name, and maybe how long you've been coming to Cascade? Or yeah, yeah. let's do that. Um, my name is Sam. My pronouns are he, him, his, and we've been here since uh, uh, October-ish. Yeah. yeah. Hi, I'm Haley. I'm Sam's Sam's wife. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and I've been here as long as he has. <laughs> Uh, my name is Jacinda. I was trying to like look at my roommate to determine how long we've been coming here, but I don't remember. A year. Yeah. I'm Lindsay, and I've been coming here for three years. I'm Coos. Been here for three years. Yeah. Those are together. That's good. All right. Uh, so here, first question we have for you is that what have you learned from relationships with people that are different from you? I'll take the, uh, the first question. Um, for me, um, being raised in a very white Southern Baptist town in Oklahoma, uh, diversity in relationship, I think, was kind of seen as an opportunity for evangelism, that there was always kind of like a, an underlying... Um, mission to being in relationships with people that were different than than us um, and having deconstructed that and come out of that I I found queerness through diversity in my relationships because for so long I you know we hear that story a lot where you feel so alone because you don't see any representation or you're not friends with anybody that is um, that is you know like you and so coming out of the church and then finding queer community and being around people I had never been around before, um, I mean, that, that gave me new life. That's where I found my transness. That's where I have learned so much about, um, about, about race and gender and, and sexual identities and um, has allowed me a, a so much deeper well of empathy and uh, honesty and authenticity in, in my relationships. I want to add a bit um, to what was said about the, I went to school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the, you know, you're mentioning about the opportunity for evangelism. I went to a Christian college. I went to Oral Roberts University, if you, if you didn't know. Originally from Indonesia, and even when I was there, 
attending a Christian college, a bunch of people were still trying to make sure that my Christianity is the same as theirs. So here's an example. I don't know how we got to talking about persecution. So I shared, oh, in Indonesia, in 1998, there was a big riot. And there's this lady that was so scared, she hid in her closet uh, holding her Bible, and her house got burned down. So they found her with her Bible, died, right? This friend said, well, if she only trusted Jesus more, Jesus would have saved her. And it was quite a shock to me that that's what Christianity was for him. Um, so something I was thinking about in the pews before we came up here was uh, I don't, that, like the whole element of what you look like and what you could assume about my story um, is wrong. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm adopted and I grew up in a, a white family And my experience with that was mostly to um, code white and to feel pretty uncomfortable in rooms where people weren't white. And when my uh, family, the actual like diverse relationships unfolded with my my sister uh, dating Native American men and kind of the cultural discomfort that came with some of those differences and trying to understand that and also understanding that individuals didn't represent whole cultures, um, but, you know, just trying to, to navigate that. And it was really messy and really, we were all clumsy at it, still are. Um. So it's interesting to hear Koo's talk because I also went to Oral Roberts um, and kind of seeing the other side of that, like I uh, was very closeted at the time and um, a lot of my experience with that was like constantly trying to prove that there was nothing about me that didn't belong in a space like that. The trick with that is that I didn't have to try very hard, right, because like I present very white and I can be read pretty straight and I am a good singer and I can do all of these things that allowed me to kind of prove that like I fit in just like I should. Um, And prior to being at Oral Roberts, like I was raised in Bethel culture. So like everything is very charismatic, it's very loud. And so, so much of my experience with people in relationships different than me was like, trying to say, like, I am the most welcoming white Christian that there can be, and I am bringing all of these people in that are different than me. Um, and that was the one of the hardest parts in my deconstruction was kind of realizing the harm that I had done. Um, and really, like, at the time, what I thought was trying to be inclusive, I was really othering people. Um, and I didn't understand how to listen. And like, I went through deconstruction in school to become a therapist, so it was kind of extra hard because I was like, man, I'm really bad at this. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think through that process of coming out and um, getting into a relationship with Sam where now like we present very um, straight and we present like a, we look like a, a cis couple. And so we're kind of in this position where it's like sometimes 
my fragility makes me uncomfortable where I feel like I have to prove that I am in a diverse, diverse relationship. Um, and that comes from a place of like being raised as a very privileged white person who um, knew that I belonged in every space. So now maybe being in a relationship where we don't belong in every space, I encounter a lot of my fragility um, and, and realizing like how much I have to learn about like discomfort and being in those spaces. So I think might have answered two questions in one, sorry. That's great. Uh, when I'm, I'm also from Oklahoma. We've got a theme going on. Taking over. Um, Dang it. I was really hoping you'd be more so diverse. Didn't diverse we go to the same church in Oklahoma, too? Uh, Anyone from Texas? Just raise a hand. Can we get you up there? Uh, when I met, we've been married for 10 years. I'm pretty, yeah, pretty sure. Uh, <laughs> and when I met Coos, I remember telling my friends, um, yeah, I'm going on a date with, like, an Asian dude. Like, what is that? Because none of my friends had ever dated outside of white culture. Um, so I remember feeling really proud of myself, which makes me feel kind of grossed out now. Um, but that look how open I am and look how, um, like, progressive I am. And I think a lot of uh, the way I viewed things was um, all of his, a lot of your friends were white, and so that made it seem like, oh, he's not that different from me, and this is a good thing. And after being married for 10 years, um, we're real different. <laughs> uh, so our difference in how we were raised and our culture continues to pop up, especially as we're raising kids. And it's been really eye-opening and really, like you said, um, hard to recognize that how much my ego needed to be safe and to be seen as a good person um, I accept all people, I accept um, all races, ways of life, um, sexual identity, and to be like, oh, I do, if you cater to how I want to see that. So that was a really painful piece for me, and something I think I still really have a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. So I wonder now, when you talk about kind of diversity and, and some of the difficulties of that and some of the, the benefits and how you see and stretch, how, how do you feel like it should look, should it look different in Christian communities? And why or why not? Is there a difference as you're, you're doing that in Christian spaces? Um, I have a thought on this. Yeah, I think um, the, like being asked to do this and, and kind of seeing like the way that you're talking about diversity is, is really, um, it's so rich. And when um, Sam and I were talking about these questions yesterday, that was kind of what we kept coming back to is like, um, in so many church spaces that I've been in, like diversity has been seen through like either one single lens or it hasn't been talked about at all. Um, and the only people that were kind of aware of the lack of diversity in church spaces were people who were diverse. Um, and again, that's like putting burden on those people to kind of, uh, figure out like, what is, is there a place for me here? Um, and so I feel like in Christian spaces, like the the richest that it can look is if the conversations are happening and if people like me are uncomfortable. Um, and if I'm, I'm in a space where I'm able to challenge my fragility and come out of it knowing that, like, I'm still in relationship with people that love me. Um, I love the term that we use in um, a lot of spaces, like calling people in and not calling them out. Um, and I think on, like, both sides of that, like, in thinking through, like, um, 
like sexual orientation and gender identity, you know there are spaces that um, like we don't feel like we have a seat at the table and then we still have to reckon with like we come in presenting with a lot of privilege. And so how do we engage in those conversations where our own wounds make us feel like we have a dog in the fight and we have a voice and we have to say like we've been kicked out of church, we've experienced this stuff. And looking at us now, we can walk into any church we want to, and we just don't have to be honest about who we are. And that's a rough thing to have to, to um, reckon with. Um, and like how our fragility, or I can only speak for me, but like how my fragility as like a cisgender white woman, that that comes up time and time again. Um, and trying to say like, I'm a good person, or even like when I'm really vulnerable, like, oh no, but I'm queer, so it's okay. Like, I understand, and it's like, do I? Probably not as fully as I could. So I think in church spaces, that's like the most important is that we're able to have those conversations um, and really go deep where it's uncomfortable. I would say when Kurt asked um, Coos to do this today, I was a little like, ah, he's doing it because Coos is Asian. Because in the past, um, <laughs> it's, well, it's just true. Uh, in the past, um, Coos has been the face of diversity for all the churches we've been to. And not just because he's very good looking, but also <laughs> it just feels like, um, I think sometimes you almost felt like you didn't have a choice to be involved in that because it's like, well, you gotta do it, you're the, you're the Asian guy. So um, I felt, I feel a little protective of how do you um, not force or make people uncomfortable to do the work of educating people who are in more privileged groups? Um, what is inviting versus um, making or um, pressuring them to uh, talk about their experience? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting too because I had a similar, uh, uh, reaction, and I think I even asked my roommate. I was like, I mean, like, how? What should I talk about? I was like, I mean, I'm, I'm Asian. I'm a woman. I still struggle with the label of disabled. Like, I, I don't. I, I still wrestle with that, like, regularly. But that's also, I've been given opportunities to talk about that, or been patted on the back for that. Um, uh, but like, kind of off of what you said, Lindsay. Like, I, I think about when, um, when we're having these conversations, like how important it is to not present it as if we're going to find a resolution. We're going to really find the answer, like the end of this conversation. Oh, golly, we got it. Um, but also that, like, um, oh, this was even uh, a conversation uh, Pax and I were having, which was just like, yeah, I, I personally still struggle with sexism, racism, ableism, like all these things. And so um, there is, there absolutely needs to be space for giving people a chance to um, speak about their experiences and then also recognizing like that they're also learning and understanding just because it's their direct, like I can only speak about mine, but just because it's my direct experience, there's still stuff that I'm figuring out and like labeling or reshuffling and um, the work isn't done ever. Yeah. I think surfacing even more the fact that everyone's diverse here is very important as you're talking about power dynamics. People who are not a part of the dominant culture, however you define that, will either feel like they need to be a chameleon. First, they, they already want to feel like they belong somewhere. I remember, this is a, back Oral Roberts again. 
I was 17, first time ever being out of the country and watching Jay Leno, I think. He was telling a joke. Everyone laughed. I was like, I don't know why it's funny, but I don't want to be left out, so I'm going to laugh. So, and I still do that. <laughs> um, and just giving that space for everyone to express who they truly are, right? Like, if I become a chameleon just because I want to belong, that means I can't be fully myself. I can't really share things that might offend everyone else. And that's just not a really fun space to be in. Uh, I've been chewing on this question for a few days, and um, I think sometimes I <laughs> I sell myself short because I'm like, I'm married to a therapist, so just like whatever she says is like, <laughs> she said it better than I could ever say it. So, um, but I... I think it's it's obviously of utmost importance for us to constantly be working and seeking a more diverse, like, spiritual community. Um, it's only going to further empathy. It's only going to further authenticity. It's only going to, like, further curiosity. Um, and so for me, it just has to come down to, like, whatever steps I'm taking in my spiritual life, am I working to be more inclusive? Does, does this... Um, does this path or this step or this thing I want to be a part of, does it in, involve inclusivity? I mean, on a very, like, specific level, um, with being a part of, of some of the worship teams here, those are conversations I'm having that we're having and that I'm having with, with friends and with Kurt about how does our worship uh, include all people, include so many different ideas of God and the ways that we talk about God and about faith. And um, so f that's kind of where I'm at. I wish I could be more profound, but just to say that, like, everything that I'm doing to be, like, involved here or to further my spiritual journey is in including um, all the voices is the table big enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so, so to that end, as you, because you talked about kind of sitting with these questions for a couple of days, was there anything else that came up from you that wasn't a part of the questions? Or something today that you were thinking of that it would be helpful for us to hear or it'd be helpful for you to say? Uh, why would you ask me to be on the diversity panel came up for me. <laughs> um, so I think uh, knowing that everyone's voice is welcome, even if you're from a dominant culture, um, how you're experiencing and learning is important as well. Else? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, it, it forced me and has really challenged me, which is kind of like vomiting out here, but it's just challenged me to ask myself those questions that I like am not just using diversity as some sort of checklist, you know, that like, you know, which we've all kind of discussed, but like, look at me, I have a black friend and like, just checking off all of these lists. Um, it's really forced me to like go deeper and continue to, to challenge my whiteness, to challenge my passing privilege, my male privilege, and um, just, it's obviously something that is still like mulling and, and cooking uh, inside of me, so. Well, this is just about one of the bravest things that you can do. Would you thank the people that were willing to do it? Thank you, Steve. Thank you.
And to that end, we want to consider this an opening of an ongoing conversation, not, well, we did it, we had our Sunday, um, but how do we continue leaning into uncomfortable places? One of the conversations we had early on is when we, we talked about this earlier at Cascade, we want to create a place that's both safe to be and safe to grow. Um, and we received some, I think, helpful pushback into that and like, well, you can't create safe places. You can only create brave places, um, which is so true. And yet, we've stuck with safe to be, safe to grow. Because oftentimes, brave spaces puts an undue pressure on marginalized and oppressed people to be brave. Uh, and we would rather say we are uh, journeying to be a safe place so that we can be called accountable when we have created spaces unintentionally or intentionally that are unsafe. And so I, I want you all to know that this conversation isn't something where we're scurrying away to like deliver it and here it is and we nailed it, but rather an ongoing uh, conversation where your participation is welcome and your voice is welcome both to join in and to be silent. We don't want you to feel, and, and I hope even the people that we asked, you didn't feel any pressure to be a part of this, but rather it will be a, an open invitation to participate in the conversation. The, the last little thing I want to throw in, I, I was thinking, you know, I appreciate that you sharing your pronouns. And I think that there's something culturally that's happening where if you think of your kind of Christian narrative and story, and I was handed this, and it's like, well, now we got to kind of add one more thing. Now we got to think about sexual orientation and gender identity. It's like we've rearranged our mental furniture enough to add one more love seat. And then we're like, okay, I did it. And they're like, hey, now let's talk about pronouns. And you're like, are you kidding me? I just changed everything to be open and affirming. Isn't that enough? And instead, to, to not think of it as adding one more thing, but to think of it in relational context. If you have ever felt and expressed frustration with, I don't even know what pronouns to call, or like, I thought it was African-American, now it's black, your fixation with labels is probably more tied to othering than it is relationship. And we need these understandings of pronouns not to label large groups of people, but to have relationship with people that God is inviting us to care about and we would benefit greatly from caring about and engaging with relationship. And in relationship, it's okay to mess up. It's okay to make mistakes. And we say, oops, sorry, and we learn from that and grow from that. So at this time, I was going to invite Jonathan who's going to share more about some of the things that are happening here at Cascade during the week.